Beloved church, happy Sunday. Please pray with me. God, you who are our beginning and our end, speak to our hearts this morning at this moment of our journey. Speak to us those words of life we can only hear from you. Amen. A few years ago, when my spouse was the stay-at-home parent, I discovered that my husband is better at grocery shopping than I am, and I'm still not over it. It was a blow to my ego. I got really angry about it, actually, which didn't make any sense to either of us. Why should that even matter? When Barrett was doing all of our groceries, he would get a week's worth of groceries for a family of four done in less than an hour for under $100, usually under 85, and that included snacks and beer. (laughs) Why couldn't I just celebrate that and be grateful for the reduced costs? Thanks to the professor and researcher Brene Brown, I've learned to ask myself this question. What story am I telling myself right now? It's a useful question for those moments when our emotions suddenly flare up and we don't exactly know why. The story I was telling myself about those groceries was a complicated story full of failure. If Barrett, who had rarely done meal planning or grocery shopping before 2015, was able to so quickly and effortlessly cut our weekly grocery budget in a third, that meant I was a failure as a mom and a wife. I had been wasting money all of this time. I thought that I was frugal and savvy, but maybe I was really extravagant and wasteful, sucked in by all the advertising, susceptible to manipulation, Maybe I was really stupid. Now, when I say it out loud, it's laughable. That story escalated quickly, didn't it? (laughs) Of course, my husband being better at grocery shopping doesn't mean that I am stupid or a failure. He certainly had no intention of communicating that through his actions. But the story that my brain constructed so quickly left me feeling hurt and defensive and angry. I can see the absurdity of it now, but down deep, some of those feelings are still around. It can be hard to retell the stories, even when we know that they aren't the truth. Our first reading this morning, the one from Genesis, is the conclusion of the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. You've probably heard the first part. Jacob has 12 sons, but he loves Joseph best and gifts Joseph with a flamboyant rainbow jacket. When Joseph starts telling his brothers about dreams that he's having, dreams in which the brothers all bow down to him, the 11 brothers decide that they are done with Joseph. They sell him as a slave to traveling traders. They splatter the jacket with goat's blood, and they tell their father that Joseph is dead. But Joseph was not dead. 
Over the decades, he managed to escape slavery and escape jail, and he wound up in a position as a lead advisor in the Pharaoh's court in Egypt. He had an uncanny ability to anticipate and plan well for crisis. So when a famine hit the whole region, he had helped Egypt prepare their grain reserves. People from all over the region started coming to Egypt, hoping to buy precious grain from them. And those travelers included the 11 remaining sons of Jacob. What we heard this morning is the big reveal Imagine the scene. The now elderly Jacob, who was watching his crops wither in the field, has sent his sons on a desperate journey to Egypt because of the rumor that Egypt has grain enough to share. When they arrive and expect to negotiate a trade, the official they are negotiating with reveals himself as the brother they sold into slavery when they were foolish, jealous, testosterone-laden young men. I wonder what stories they told themselves in that moment. We are dead meat. We are not making it out of here alive. He will never forgive us. And if they're anything like most siblings, I'm sure some of them immediately thought of who to blame. It was all Simeon's idea. I thought Reuben was going to stop us, but he didn't. We didn't really hate you, Joseph. We just hated how much more dad loved you than them, you know? (laughs) But before any of them even get a chance to react out of their own stories of guilt and shame, Joseph tells the story his own way. Don't beat yourselves up. Don't despair. God positioned me ahead of you for the sake of life. Joseph wasn't living the story of a victim whose big bad brothers betrayed him. Joseph was living a story in which God's purposes and power are greater than any harm his brothers could attempt. Joseph saw himself in a story of life, preserving life, saving life, promoting life. And because of that, he was able to embrace his brothers and extend care to them when they believed that they deserved nothing but wrath and retaliation. The stories we tell ourselves have the power to shape our reactions to our circumstances. They can shape the choices that we make. Those stories can shape our relationships. What story are we telling ourselves? The spirituals that the choir has been sharing with us this month are an incredible example of the power of telling our own stories. Enslaved Africans received the stories of the Bible from their oppressors. At worship services, they were required to attend as a means of social control. And then they retold those stories as stories of their own liberation, stories that propelled them concretely into freedom. How amazing is that? 
The stories we tell ourselves have the power to shape our choices, our communities, our future. What story are we telling ourselves? The church in first century Corinth was also struggling with the stories they were telling themselves. A decade or so into their existence as a community, there were competing narratives at play. We don't know all the details because we only have Paul's side of the correspondence. But we know that there was a debate about resurrection. And Paul senses that without the hope of resurrection, without that promise of life, despair is setting in to some segments of this church. We don't know what story they are telling themselves, but Paul is adamant that there is a different story they could tell, one that will bolster them with the knowledge that none of their work is in vain. The stories we tell about ourselves can make us feel stuck, or they can propel us with purpose. What story are we telling ourselves? What stories are you hearing in the air around you or in your own heart? This country is going to hell in a handbasket. Our schools are failing our children. We can't do anything without a senior pastor. Everyone is just too tired to try something new. If people have the option of watching worship from home, they will never come back in person. Those are just a handful of the stories that I've recognized in myself in moments of fear. Maybe you've heard them too, from within or from others. But friends, the reason we are here this morning, the reason this church exists at all, is because of another story. A story that stands in the face of our worst fears and speaks words of life words of resurrection, words of hope. The story of the gospel, the good news, is not meant to mask over grief or challenges. It's not a delusion. We don't tell ourselves stories that distract us from the work we must do or that whitewash our image so we can pretend that everything is okay. No, our story is a clear-eyed story of God present in the real world. God born to real people. God visiting real homes and real worship communities and telling the truth. 
Ours is a story that empowers us to embrace the truth of who we are and the truth of one another, believing that even in those moments when we fail each other, that is never the end of the story. Ours is a story of God taking the broken mess of betrayed brotherhood and using it to save lives. Ours is a story of resurrection, a story of life. And as we tell each child that we baptize in this church, we will continue to tell you these stories until they become your own. What story are you telling, friends? Here is the story I see unfolding around me. I see angels in jeans and sweatshirts, emptying dusty corners and closets and sorting through forgotten items based on whether or not they continue to serve the life of this congregation. I hear music spilling forth from lips and hearts that have been silent too long. I hear children making music and bells being rung. I see a decade of past moderators and past search committee members stepping forward to share their experiences and wisdom in order to support our current leaders. I see a wealth of skills emerging, treasures that are unearthed with as little as a single phone call, people willing to bring their professional skills in caregiving, discernment, management, communication, education, public speaking, and preaching to meet the needs of this community. I feel energy humming just beneath the surface energy for learning, for gaining new skills, for gathering in community, for stepping forward for the sake of justice. I see life in this church. I see God in this church. I see the spirit stirring and breathing and bringing order out of chaos. This is the story that I am telling, a story of life. Maybe you will find yourself in it. Maybe you already have. Amen?